0: worked so far, but we're not out
1: yet. I wanna know what you're thinking. There are some things you can't hide. I wanna know what you're feeling. Tell me what's on your mind. Failing frequencies open, and welcome to Enterprising Individuals, the Star Trek discussion podcast that boldly goes into excruciating detail about the series, characters, and stories of the Star Trek universe. I'm your host, Caliban, and just to get it out of the way at the top of the show, it's a fake. There. (laughs) Now that that's taken care of, that was a clip from episode 2.5, which is as good a way as any to begin our season 2 clip show, which is probably ill-advised, but is intended as a celebration of the second season of our show, and why not? We'll take a look as well at the 22nd episode of the second season of Star Trek The Next Generation Shades of Grey, because... Let's face it, no one's going to pick that one. So this episode will be Shades of Yay, and on it I'll be joined by many past guests from Season 2, all in digital form, and we'll be hearing some of the highlights of the previous season, and hearing some insights from a number of different episodes. So, permission to come aboard is not required, we're already fully staffed. Stay tuned to hear from our guests. But first, let's talk the technical details of Shades of Grey, Shades of Grey is the 22nd episode of the second season of Star Trek The Next Generation. It first aired July 17th of 1989. And it was directed by Robert Bowman, who's a name you should probably know. Uh, He went on to direct uh, X-Files and produce on The X-Files, and he's a big TV guy. The story, insofar as it exists, is by Maurice Hurley, and the teleplay is by Maurice Hurley, Richard Manning, and Heinz Biemler. The star date for the episode is 42976.1. And my assignment in this case will be to give you a 25-word synopsis of Shades of Grey. Let's see. While exploring a new planet, Riker's infected with a paralyzing microorganism, which can only be counteracted by showing money-saving clips from Seasons 1 and 2. 25 words exactly. Not sure why everyone thinks that's so tough. Interesting facts from the memory banks for this episode are scarce on the ground, really. A writer's strike in 1988 led to a shortened season for Next Gen, and the budget overruns of the episode's elementary deer data and Q who meant that Maurice Hurley and crew were short one for the year. But Paramount demanded a show, and we got this. It is the lowest rated show of TNG coming in at a 3.4 on IMDb, way below Code of Honor, Sub Rosa and Angel 1? Wait, people don't people don't like Angel 1?
2: I don't believe this.
1: According to director Rob Bowman, there was only 3 days of photography instead of the usual 7 or 8. Production assistant Eric Stillwell uh, had to search through tapes to come up with the scenes that would represent Riker's memories. And as uh, a result of that, he wanted to call the episode Riker's Brain, and he almost got away with it, but eventually settled on Shades of Grey, mainly because, and he said, quote, because I decided it was a really bizarre episode that wasn't black or white, it was just Shades of Grey, end quote. And everyone on the production team Hated the show, and they were frankly, they were frankly embarrassed by it. And here are some reactions from production staffers. Maurice Hurley said, "Quote, piece of excrement." Um, I'm editing that. It was supposed to be a bottle show. Terrible, just terrible. And a way, and a way to save some money. I was on the way out the door, <laughs> so you're safe there, uh, Maurice. Uh, Peter Lauritsen, a producer on the show, said, "Quote, it was just." Dot, dot, dot. We learned from that. I think probably the worst we ever did. It was like, never again. Shades, I don't even want to remember it. And also, David Livingston, another producer on the show, commented, quote, It's very cheesy and the fans didn't like it. We didn't like doing it. But Paramount said, hey, you got to save us some money. And of course, Ronald D. Moore called it embarrassing. Along with, up the long ladder? He didn't like, people don't like up the long ladder? You generally start at the top and work your way down. It's also the last episode for Diana Mulder as Dr. Pulaski, who sadly didn't get any kind of send-off as the chief medical officer on the Enterprise, but she wasn't exactly a fan favorite, so few tears have been shed over that in the intervening years. You know, it's weird, because clip shows are a reality of television, at least for the time, and certainly for genre TV, where you have the excuse of time travel or some story conceit that allows you to save money. And to do something like this. So it's unfortunate that they had to resort to a clip show. But I think it says a lot about the staff. That they were so frustrated and disappointed by it. And that their professional standards for this weird, silly, syndicated sci-fi show were admirably high. Well, our standards at enterprising individuals are high as well. And as such, with the show going on a short hiatus until the end of Star Trek Discovery's broadcast. We wanted a chance to redeem the idea of the clip show. And bring you some of the best moments from our second season. Moments like our first episode of the season, episode 2-1, where Alan Gratz and I discussed the Next Gen episode, Darmok, and we tossed around the idea that the children of Tama, who communicate solely through cultural references, would feel right at home on the internet. (laughs) There's a way that some people in our current society... Communicate uh, specific emotions and situations. It's mostly on the internet. Uh, the Tumerian language kind of reminds me of memes. Oh, sure, like an... uh, like using uh, Hotline Bling or Willy Wonka to communicate totally. something very specific. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I guess my question is: uh, Are the Tumerians space four chan? That's that I'm could
3: thinking. be. They could be. Maybe, maybe they, they're just the, the the society that only communicates in memes. And right. and if you're not if you're not up on on who Pepe is, you're just not going to understand.
1: <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We get to know them better, and it turns out that they're just really just terrible alt-right like people. <laughs>
3: they're all the trolls on the intergalactic <laughs> uh, right. the message boards. They just they just pick up on stories, and they they only talk in in that, in memes or or maybe like emojis. I mean, you know, you know where sure, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, right. yeah, It's like a teenager just talking to you.
1: Dr. Christopher Dows joined me on episode two four to talk about the Voyager episode Sunkatze, and I asked him what Trek fandom was like in the UK. Star Trek's big there, I assume.
4: Oh, it, it is. It, it's um, it's not quite the embarrassing, geeky <laughs> affair to to um, right. admit that you're a fan that it used to be. Because I think um, to to JJ Abrams' credit, he has brought quite a, a bigger appeal to uh, to the franchise. Sure, um, we don't have the scale. We just simply don't have the scale. Anything to do with comic books, anything to do with um, conventions. That's so. I mean, I've been to the Chicago Comic Con twice and okay, yeah. uh, I was just as astonished that uh, the the, um, the Rosemont, that used to be called the Rosemont, where it was held, yeah. that they had, they had indoor tractor pull competitions yep. <laughs> I thought, how, how can a building be that large? And then you stand in it and think hmm, okay. And then you see um, the place is just utterly full of, of, uh, of fans and a lot of them are Star Trek fans. I've been to a couple of conventions in the UK they, they're the whole fandom thing, particularly cosplay, interestingly, that's really taking off in this country now. You know, we're only about twenty years behind everybody else, but <laughs> um, there's there's a lot more uh, there's a lot more people involved, and a lot more people happy to admit that they're involved. And so, Star Trek has always had a very, very hardcore, quite faithful um, following in the United Kingdom. It's just not quite as. Um, uh, not quite as obvious, uh, you know, British people are like, it's like, Well, are you a Star Trek fan? Oh, well, I'd like to admit that I am, as opposed to running around shouting, I love Spock with a pair of Spock ears on, which happens a <laughs> right. lot in America, I'm led to believe. But, and you know, we don't tend to dress our dogs up in in Picard outfits and things yeah. like that, which which just appalls and amuses me in equal measure when people put these photographs up there, like, ah, do what you like, mate, it's great, you know, go for your life, all good, leave the dog out, yeah, yeah, but just leave the dog out for goodness sake, I mean, the poor thing, I mean, it's <laughs>
1: <laughs> David Mack, a.k.a. Mack Attack, came on the show for episode 2-5, and we talked about the DS9 episode, In the Pale Moonlight, and the way that Gene Roddenberry's vision of the future and the writer's interpretation of it have evolved over the years. DS9 as a program, especially in its later seasons, have habitually challenged that paradise that you mentioned, that the Federation represents. You mentioned, um, Cisco mentioning that it's, it's easy to be a saint in paradise, What do you think? Like, do you think that Gene, had he been around to see it, would have approved of an episode like this? Do you think he would have thought that his perfect future society would still need to search its collective soul over issues like this?
5: I think that Gene might have pushed back against this just because by the time he was working on Star Trek The Next Generation, Mm -hmm. he had embraced a, uh, a view of his own creation, which did away with a lot of the conflict, which is what... Uh, led to many of the early seasons of TNG being a bit watery, a bit Mm wishy-washy. And sadly, you know, I hate to say it, but it really wasn't until after Gene passed that the producers were free to explore uh, more morally complex issues and take a more nuanced view of Gene's creation. And while some people would look at that as a betrayal of Gene's vision of a future with a better humanity, I think that in many respects it's uh, more respectful to say that humanity has not just reached some magic pinnacle from which it is now perfect and can do no wrong, mm-hmm. but rather to say that goodness is something that we have to continually strive for, that you know, sometimes you take a step forward, you take two steps back. Uh, I, I think that it is laudable to sort of show the notion that Yes, humanity wants to be better, but that sometimes uh, it is necessary to compromise uh, and that this does not necessarily undo the good that is done, but that sometimes people have to be the ones like basically Cisco is acting as a sin eater is really what he's doing here. He's taking on the burden of shame, of sin, of
1: guilt so that others don't have to. On episode two seven, I was joined by Garrick Dietz to talk the TNG episode Symbiosis, and we reminisced about the 80s phenomenon of the very special episode. I think the theme that's being beat into us uh, in this episode is that drugs are bad. Which was a I very think, special episode of it the is a generation, very generation. It is from a very special which And if you're decade, an 80s
5: kid, you got that in every show. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, looking back on it, a lot of people complain about the drugs are bad message. Right. But as an 80s kid... You're inundated with that. You were just like, "Yep,
1: oh, got it." <laughs> you know, oh. Cosby
5: had it. Oh, Wesley, strokes had you it. don't know
1: that drugs are bad. Come <laughs> I on, I
5: think even Facts of Life had it back in the day. I think every every one of those shows had a drugs are they bad all, yeah, special they all had episode. To.
1: Yeah, it's funny how. Uh, well, it's it's interesting how Onarans' behavior, especially when they get their dose of the medicine, is so. It's just heavily coded as drug use. <laughs> and they're just like, yeah, me, come on, man, I need it, I need it. Oh, I get it yeah. oh, feels so good. And then they do that like long 15-second push-in on Crusher where she's like, these guys are junkies. <laughs> <laughs> episode 2-9 saw a visit from Dave Stern for a talk about the TNG episode Tapestry, and Dave related his story of meeting Ronald D. Moore.
0: So I was there um, when Next Generation was first starting up, and I remember meeting Ron Moore when... You know, one of the first couple times, and he, he, I'm not sure when he came on the show and when I left, but I remember meeting him and I don't remember much about the meeting because it was, I, I was meeting a couple other people as well, um, uh, including uh, Jerry Taylor, who, because mm. uh, I, I did a pitch, I pitched a couple stories to the show that they didn't, you know, that they didn't end up needing, right. wanting. But I remember meeting Ron, and he was, you know, I can't believe that I'm here doing this. This is so cool, you know. He was really, <laughs> <laughs> he was really over the moon about that, and uh, yeah. So and he you know, he seemed like such a nice. I mean, he was a, a young guy, you know, yeah. really young.
1: Um, something I I don't know if this is the Ron Moore uh, Appreciation Society. It could be um, something I always I la- always liked about him is his. Um, his sort of transparency and his willingness to communicate with fans. Like Mm -hmm. now you can do podcasts or AMAs or whatever on Reddit, but even way back in the nineties, he was doing like chat rooms on AOL talking about his process and
0: kind of letting fans in on the business and stuff like that. And I've always liked that about him. Yeah. I think I remember seeing something like that when Battlestar Galactica first started up, he was really available to the fans. There was something going on and, and, and that was a great show too. Obviously I really enjoyed that.
1: B. Joe and John Trimble, the lifelong Trek fans who organized the letter-writing campaign to save Star Trek, the original series, from cancellation after its second season, joined me on Supplemental Episode 211.5 to talk about learning what a zip code was and how John never gets any credit in the history books.
2: They have just introduced that brand new thing, zip codes.
1: So I had to go right. down to the post office and learn how to, how to do
2: things, certain things by zip. And you see, this is why... We uh, I've been so disturbed all these years by John not getting credit because you can see that we were running in harness. There was no, you know, my doing anything special or something. And so I say that part of that was, was Jim and Fred. <laughs> but yes. a, another part of it, probably equal part, is you've got two names here. John, every Tom Dick and Harry's name is John, or Big <laughs> Joe. Totally, you know, so right. they get they right <laughs> lit on that. Well, yeah, and, and they didn't want to talk to a middle management person, which was John was at the time. Um, they found it, of course, women's web more interesting to talk to the little housewife who spoke up. And it, uh, you know, I greeted my back teeth on that one, I'll tell you. so uh, uh, the, um, and uh, it this grew, and over the years, it became just the lady who staged Star Trek
1: and that isn't true. Sure. Well, we're here to set the record straight. Absolutely. Author John Jackson Miller was on episode 213 to talk about Rightful Heir and he related a story about a college acquaintance of his, one Mr. Chris Hardwick. What's Chris Hardwick like in real life?
3: Uh, Chris uh, was about three years younger than me. Uh, We So... Uh, you know I knew him in uh, I, I knew him in middle school and when when he was in middle school and I was in high school and then I knew him in high uh, high school because I was his um, I was his senior uh well we back back in the day we had uh, we had hazings uh so, okay sure <laughs> so uh, so during freshman initiation week I was Chris's senior. Uh, and okay. so, you know, he was basically supposed to haul, uh, haul my books around and, you know, they did, right. they did all these, you were
1: sponsoring him. Sure. Well, they sure. did all
3: these things <laughs> that you know, were calculated at the time to, you know, humiliate the students. So, you know, I mean, <laughs> no. I mean, I mean, I could say that I, I made Chris wear a dress and it's true. Uh, but, but the, but the fact is I, I really hated, uh, the, the whole, uh, the whole thing. I hated, I, cause when I had done it, my senior was not a pleasant person, uh, no. and, and so uh, I cut him loose after like a day, and he was having so much fun with dressing up and everything that he still did the whole thing for the entire time. Um, <laughs> okay. But yeah, no, I, I, knew, I, knew, I knew him, Yeah, I didn't know him well, but uh, we were both in, it's kind of sad, our, our high school was so small, we could barely field a football team, but we were the top chess power in the state. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And so, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, he and I both realized that we could escape the lunchroom uh, by hanging out in the chess club at lunch. And so, uh, and, and I think both of us were players where we kind of had no intention of ever learning any strategies.
1: So, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs>
3: so, uh, you know, we, we would, uh, we would just play each other as opposed to, you know, the other, the other, uh, the other kids that were really grinds at it. Anyway, right. uh, I saw, <laughs> I saw him at a, a convention here a few years ago and, you know, he was able to sign, sign something to me, uh, you know, sign to, to uh, his, to his, uh, to his, uh Uh, You know, freshman advisor, so that was kind of fun.
1: On episode 214, Dave Galanter and I talked about the TOS episode Amok Time and the timeless will-they-they-won't romance between Spock and Nurse Chapel. The one thing that you were talking before about possible little flaws in this, like, best of episode, I still don't really... I mean, I like intellectually the idea of Nurse Chapel having a thing for Spock, but... Every time I see it on screen, it just never really works for me. And this is kind of another example. They give Major Barrett her big scene where she's going to try to, you know, single tear. She's talking to Spock, and I just never really kind of buy it. It's because she comes off kind of as needy. Oh yeah, I'd yeah, rather
2: yeah. I'd rather she came off uh, stronger than that. Sure. Um, uh, and I also, it's a little bit again creepy on Spock's part. As soon as he doesn't think that they're making it to Vulcan, he's like. I'm going to have to mack on her just so I can survive. <laughs> right. And he's like, you know, hey, come here, Christine. <laughs> right. um, and as soon as she says we're bound for Vulcan, he's like, oh, never mind. Oh, uh, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> <just ices> her. <laughs> I mean, that was just sort of cold.
1: <laughs> yeah, right.
2: Uh, and then, by the way, notice <laughs> at the very end of the episode, she's dismissed. Yep. <laughs> just, would you leave us alone? And then the three guys, you know, have their little chortle. Right.
1: And finally, not to in my own whistle, but on Supplemental Episode 214.5, I reported on the antics of Jason Isaacs, star of Star Trek Discovery, and the fact that there was a brief flap before Discovery's release over one of the writers saying that God wasn't allowed in the 23rd century. He decided, since all captains have their catchphrase, like Picard's, Engage, or Cisco's It's real! or Janeway's, Where's my coffee? He needed one, too. He needs a catchphrase. And he settled on get her done. No, really. I mean, he, he's he's trolling us, right? He's clearly just making fun of the colonists at this point, right? Anyway, uh, someone told him that a famous comedian had trademarked that already, and it wasn't going to work, to which I assume he replied, well, excuse me. If you're serious about this catchphrase thing, Jason, I think I can help you, Here's a few suggestions. They're all free of charge, and they're all going to be delivered in his teeth-clenchingly British accent. Are you having a laugh? Kiss my grits. Did I do that? Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. And nice work, crew. We killed them as dead as God is. (laughs) So that's our show and our season for now. As your captain, I'd like to say what a pleasure it has been serving with you and receiving such honored guests to talk about this silly syndicated show that we love so much. Thanks so much for listening, and though we have only been together for a short time, I know that you are the finest crew in the fleet, or on the internet, and I hope that you'll all return for more adventures with us in February 2018 for Season 3 of Enterprising Individuals. In the meantime, the ship is not going into mothballs. Far from it. We will continue to broadcast live episodes every Sunday night at 8.30 p.m. Central, right after Star Trek Discovery airs on CBS All Access. It's our Discovery recap show, Star Trek Discoverage, where I and my co-host Ella Pearson of the Generations Geek podcast are joined by special guests to follow the adventures of the new USS Discovery and the enigmatic Michael Burnham. Check us out Sunday night's TiVo After Trek, tune into us live, and during the show, you can join the conversation by tweeting at us with the hashtag Discoverage. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at at EISTpod to get notifications of when we're going live, and also to keep in touch with us while the show is on leave. Also, we will be returning with some supplemental shows with news and special content through the end of the year, so keep the channel open so you don't miss a thing. Thanks again for joining me, and again, thanks so much for your support. We're signing off until the next mission. Hailing Frequencies closed.